0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now with today's message, Dr. Jim Richards. Let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 26. Our wonderful pastor has taught in a series all summer long in the book of Proverbs, and I surely cannot add anything to his teaching, but I will say this is an epilogue. So this is the uh, last uh, passage and last section in, the, in my part of the series as we look in Proverbs 26, and we'll read the first 12 verses. Like snow in winter and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he be not wise in his own eyes. He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sends a message by the hand of a fool. Like the legs which are useless to the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools." like an archer who wounds everyone so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly do you see a man wise in his own eyes there is no more there's more hope for a fool than for him let's pray together once again father Add the blessings that only you can to the reading of your word, and may it find lodging in our hearts, and may we understand your truth today. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Well, I'd like for us to center in on two verses, and those verses are four and five. Here it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. And then verse five says, Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he be not wise in his own eyes. Now there's a lot about fools in these 12 verses. Solomon is the wise writer and compiler of the book we call Proverbs. And these pithy sayings are words of instruction to perhaps his uh, young son, or perhaps he received himself, whether he wrote them or he compiled them from some other writer and we have it now as God's word for us, but he pointedly discusses the fool in these verses that we just read. But in these two verses, he talks in almost contradictory terms. He says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Then he turns right around and says, answer a fool. Now, the word of God does not contradict itself. So we are not in any way questioning that the Word of God is contradictory. So there must be an explanation, and it's an easy explanation. That explanation tells us that in the first verse where he says, Do not answer a fool as a fool presents himself. It means that we are not to have the same attitude, or perhaps the same approach, or the same reasoning, or the logic, or the mannerisms that a fool would display his argument or his position. So don't be like the fool in the way that he presents himself. But answer a fool if his folly would cause harm or hurt those, and therefore it is essential that you rebuke him and correct him as necessary. Now anyone can benefit from the words of instruction, and this word fool, is uh, Hebrew scholars tell us, is a word that could be translated stupid. Now there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity. If you're ignorant, it means that you have an absence of facts. You're just, you just don't know it. And ignorance doesn't have to be uh, a continued state. You can learn. And so therefore, uh, some people like ignorance. They say, you know... Uh, Uh, If ignorance is is a bliss, then let me be a blister. But it's important that you learn. But there are those who have the facts presented to them, and they deny the facts, they reject the facts, or they refuse the facts, and that person is stupid or a fool, as the Bible would call it. This is a paradox, these two verses. And they present contradictory views. Listen to what dictionary.com defines as a paradox. Now, a paradox are not two doctors. A paradox, it is a statement or a proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. Well, it's not just a possible truth when we read it in the Bible, is it? It is God's truth. It's God's Word. So we can be assured that the instruction that we're receiving is don't be foolish in the way that you answer someone who is foolish. Not in their mannerisms, not in their their reasoning, and of course uh, in any other approach to being a response to that fool. But if that person is causing harm, causing harm to you or your family or your church, or the ministry, or the gospel, then obviously that fool would need to be rebuked and corrected. So what we find here is the paradox, but Jesus is greater than Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man as he has attributed that wisdom, but Jesus himself said that a wiser or a greater than Solomon has come on the scene. And when Jesus presents truth, He is giving us the answers to the issues of life. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? And the issues of life become clear even in paradoxes. And Jesus used those paradoxes. So let's look at three that Jesus used to teach the plain truth of the issues of life. The first one that we'll look at is found in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. So if you'll turn there, you can find where Jesus is speaking. And He says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now let's get the context of where Jesus is teaching. Jesus lived in an agrarian society. Many of his illustrations were about farming. And this was perhaps about a harvest or perhaps about some type of delivery of seed or grain, maybe kernels of wheat. And so the long coats that a person would wear in those days, those uh, cloaks. they would perhaps hold them up and they would pour in the kernels of, of wheat. Whatever it might be, Jesus was giving an illustration here about how that as you measure, so it will be measured to you. If you count it as an honest measure. Now Jesus wasn't necessarily addressing finances, although that does come up. But what he was talking about here was particularly generosity but he said, you've got to give in order to get. Now this past Sunday and last week, we had some wonderful teachings about apologetics, how to stand for truth and how to identify false teachers. False teachers were present in the first century. False teachers are present today and they have been through these 21 centuries. So there's always been those that have taught error. In fact, when I was growing up, my cousin and I used to listen to a preacher on the radio known as Reverend Ike. Now, I wouldn't advocate that you should listen to some of these guys, but we were, you know, kids and we didn't we didn't have discernment and we were listening to Reverend Ike. And Reverend Ike had this saying. He said it that if you will give me a dollar, I will send you a prayer cloth and you can put that prayer cloth in your wallet. And because of that, you will never have an empty wallet. And so my cousin Terry, he sent off a dollar to Reverend Ike. He got the prayer cloth in the mail. He put it in his wallet. Well, several weeks later, I asked him, I said, Terry, how's that going? He showed me his wallet. He said, he's right. It's not empty. There's the prayer cloth. (laughs) And that's all there was. Well, these false teachers have a name it, claim it approach. And they would say that you have to give in order to get, in order to give, in order to get. But it's still a truth that as we give out, so we may benefit. But Jesus was speaking about human generosity being reciprocated by divine generosity. And you don't always measure that in dollars and cents. So as you give, you get back. It may not be that you give a dollar and you'll get ten dollars as some of these false teachers would say. But the return is usually intangible and much more valuable than dollars and cents. To keep a perspective about giving and getting, Proverbs 3.9 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your produce. Under the Old Testament law, and even prior to the Old Testament law, there was the principle of tithing. 10%. And if you are a New Testament believer, that should be a starting point for you. So as you give your 10% and then above that, you are giving the first of your produce. Our spiritual walk is reflected in how we use our material assets. You can be generous and not be right with God. And you cannot be a faithful giver and still go to heaven. But, God would have you to have the right perspective in the sense that He owns it all. He owns everything. And so therefore, we should honor Him with our material possessions. God does not want or need our money. He wants us. And He teaches us through these material things. This teaches that God must have preeminence in all areas of our lives. Perhaps you've heard of R. G. Laterno. There's a university about 160 miles east of here in, in Longview called Laterno University. He had a business in the early part of the 20th century and it failed. He started another business and he went bankrupt. But he wouldn't quit. And he was a man who had a gift for inventing heavy machinery. He was able to make millions even during the Depression in the 1930s. Eventually, he came to the place where he was giving 90% of his profit and his own earnings to the Lord's work and keeping 10% for himself. And here's what he said, I'm glad that the Lord allows me to keep 10% of what's His in order to live. Now, you may not ever be able to get to that inverted giving standard But the point of the matter is, our perspective needs to be that God has it all. And when we give, we get back, maybe not in monetary returns, but we get back what God would have us to have in His spiritual blessings. There's a pleasure in giving. Jesus said that, as it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There is no blessing like being a blessing. When I started preaching, I was afraid to preach on money because of all these money-grabbing preachers. So I just I avoided preaching about money. But I realized that I was shirking my responsibility because it is in the whole counsel of God that we are to speak about those material items. And I found out that only the hard-hearted or hard-headed complained about sermons on money. Now wealth is no sign of spirituality, but neither is poverty. And poverty is no virtue, but generosity is. The old time preachers used to say you need three books to run the church. You need the good book, you need a song book, and you need the pocket book. Well, we can do all of those electronically now. Used to, it would bless to hear the Pages of the Bible rustle as people would turn in their Bibles. Now you see the glow on their face when they open their phone or their iPad. Give to get. We give in order to get, but it's not always a monetary return. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach, was the preeminence of God over all areas of our life. But He... Brings that home even more so in Mark chapter eight and verse thirty-five in the second expression of a plain truth and paradox. So look in Mark eight thirty-five, and you'll find where Jesus said you need to lose in order to find. Here's what he said. For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. Now that's a paradox. You've got to lose in order to find. Now, everyone wants fulfillment and satisfaction in life. People are, oh, wow, with this pandemic and the economy and all of the pressures that we live with and the difficulties that we face today in an ever changing culture and the challenge that we have as believers, it is a difficult moment. But few are willing to pay the price because you have to lose in order to win. You have to lose in order to find. In the first century, Christian martyrdom was a reality. When you named the name of Jesus, you went opposite the Roman government and all of a sudden you came under the condemnation of the government of that day and could be put to death at any moment. And all through the centuries, there have been martyrs for Jesus Christ. And even today, in countries like India and China and in many of the Middle Eastern countries. To name the name of Jesus and to proclaim Him as we do could be a death sentence. But here in America, we still have our freedom. I don't know how long it'll last, but we still have it. And the greatest threat we have is being canceled. That Somebody will cancel us because we stand up for Jesus. First generation Americans said, give me liberty or give me death. And later generations said, give me liberty. And now the generation just seems to say, give me. And that's where we are. A life lived for self-gratification is a life that is spent. But a life lived for the Lord Jesus Christ is a life that is invested with eternal dividends. If you want to find your purpose in life, find your direction in life, find what is really the reason that you're here. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? Then, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is how you lose your life to find it. There must be that priority. Jesus put it this way as He was teaching in Matthew 6.33. He said, seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The preeminence of God's will. To say, Lord, here I am. Put our yes on the altar. I'm willing to do whatever you would have me to do. God, if you're calling me to preach, I'll answer that call. God, if you're calling me to be a missionary, I'll answer that call. God, if you're calling me to be a businessman like R.G. Letourneau, I'll be a businessman and serve you and honor you with the proceeds that you give me. That is a submission to the will of God. And that's losing your will in His will, and finding that purpose that God would have for you. That's the plan. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. You see, we're not here for our happiness. We're here for our holiness. And God is transforming us as believers to be more like Jesus. And if we're not in that progression state, then we're failing in the plan because God's plan for every child of God is that we look more like Jesus. And in doing so, it's His plan and it's His purpose. And when we live for ourselves and live for our own goals and not His goals, then we're losers. We're losing our lives instead of finding purpose in life. There is a process to this. Galatians chapter 5 tells us much about how life in the Spirit works. And I'll confess to you, I don't walk in the Spirit every day. I wish I could say that I had such a close walk with God that I'm always walking in the Spirit. In fact, it gets intermediate at times. But Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says that the the Spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit. And in verse 25 of Galatians 5, it says, if you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. So what does that mean? To live in the Spirit means that you've been born again, born of the Spirit, and He lives in you. To walk in the Spirit means that you let the Spirit of God control and direct your path in your life. So it is a daily process. There's no abracadabra. There's no shortcut. No silver bullet. There's no easy way to become spiritual. It's a grind. Day in and day out. Saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to stand for the Lord. According to Exponential.com, the Gen Z, the generation born since 1998, has grown to 13% in their profession of atheism. That's double the national average. The nuns, now that's not the Catholic female order, the N-O-N-E-S, nuns, people with no religious affiliation, have grown to 30 million in the last 10 years. As a matter of fact, there are more nuns than there are of any denomination. Only 65% of Americans identify as Christians where 40 years ago, 85% of Americans identified as Christians. Southern Baptist, we claim 14.5 million members. The FBI couldn't find half of them. On any given Sunday, we have 5 million in worship. Where are the other 10 million? 10 million. And so we see this drift. American Christianity is in decline. Secular humanism, creeping communism, and other world religions are not the threat. It's a lack of basic biblical lifestyle among believers. Losing our lives that we might find it to the glory of God. Jesus brings out one more expression of plain truth and paradox found in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Jesus is talking about His own death. In verse 24, He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Jesus said, that we must die to live. And that's what He did. He died on the cross, and yet He lives today by the power of the resurrection. And He said, for anyone who wants to have eternal life, they must die in order to live. Now I'm not talking about physical death here, I'm talking about spiritual death. I'm talking about death to self. I'm talking about coming to a place where you're at the end of yourself. Jesus pointed to the reality of death and eternity, and nothing can be added to God's grace in Christ for our salvation. As our pastor says, and I love to hear him say it, that you must come to Jesus with open hands and outturned pockets. He says that often at an invitation time to say, You can come to Jesus, but you have to come to Jesus with nothing. Because we can't earn our way into the favor of God. It's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's unmerited favor toward us. We must realize our condition before we can ever die to to live. To realize our condition is to realize we're already dead. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that we're dead in trespasses and sin. You see, God created the world, placed Adam and Eve in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden and said you can have anything you want in there except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Someone said it was an apple, but it was really the pear on the ground that was the problem. And, And they chose to sin against God and do what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted done. And because of Adam's sin, every person who has had Adam for a father has had Adam's nature. Now, my wife and I have three children, and they didn't always obey us. And when they disobeyed, I would have loved to have blamed it on Eve's nature, but it was Adam's nature. And all of us have Adam's nature. And our proclivity is to do what we want to do instead of what God wants done. Our proclivity is to go away from God, not toward God. It's not a natural inclination for us. So we have a sinful nature. But not only that, when we get to a place of mental and moral accountability, we choose to go away from God. So not only do we have Adam's nature, but we also choose to be sinners. And because of that, we find ourselves before a holy God unacceptable. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're a fool because the truth is we are sinners and we fail to meet God's holy standard and that's perfection and no one is sinless and perfect other than the Lord Jesus Christ who the second Adam passed the test in the garden, went to the cross. And as this holy God said, sin must be paid for. And if I paid for my sin, I wouldn't go to heaven. I'd go to hell. Because you see, God as a holy God says sin must be paid for. And there's nothing I I can't preach enough. I can't pray enough. I can't read enough Bible verses. I can't Sing enough, I can't give enough, I can't go to church enough, I can't be baptized. There's nothing, nothing I can do that can make me make myself righteous in the eyes of a holy God, but he did it for us. He sent Jesus, born of the virgin, living a perfect, sinless life, and then dying on the cross and paying our sin debt. Second Corinthians 5:21 says, For he God has made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So you get in Christ and you have the righteousness of Christ. So we must realize our condition and our response to God then. How do we get this righteousness applied to us? How do we get forgiven? Acts twenty twenty one tells us that we're to respond to God and our response is, Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To repent means that we're willing to turn from ourself and sin and, and Satan's dominance and turn to the Savior. That's what repentance is. It's an about face. It's a military term, scholars tell us in the original language. So we, we turn an about face. And then we have faith, we trust, we rely upon, we rest in what Jesus did for us. So I'm glad that I'm going to heaven not because of anything I've done, but because of everything He did. That's faith. So when I close my eyes in death, I will wake in that place we call heaven, which is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the response we need to give to God. And if you have never given your life to Christ and never trusted Him and Him alone to save you, you can do that today. It's not some flowery prayer. It's not some ritual. No one can bestow it on you. It comes in that instantaneous where you die to yourself to live to Him. There's a reality of that conversion. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is my life Scripture verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away and behold, all things become new. And this transformation takes place in an instant, in a moment. Now you may not remember the date on the calendar or the time on the clock, but you should be able to go back to a moment where Jesus Christ became your Lord and Savior. It's what Jesus called being born again. Die to self, to live to Him. In that moment you die, you come alive. You repent and you believe. And there in my parents' home as a 17 year old two weeks before graduating from high school by myself, I opened the Bible. That scripture verse fell open. I said, that's never happened to me. I'd been down the aisle of a church. I'd been dipped in the water but I had never received Jesus as my personal Lord. I said, God save me. Three words out of my mouth that night. It wasn't an intellectual, theological prayer. I couldn't have explained to you what I've preached today, but in that very moment, Jesus came into my life, forgave me of my sins, and gave me eternal life. Now you may never be asked to die for Jesus, but you are being asked to live for Him. And the world would think you are a fool Living for Jesus. It's counterintuitive to this world system. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, We are fools for Christ. So it may appear foolish to those on the outside, but we are no fools before the Lord because in God's eyes, we have the wisdom that He has granted to us by His grace to receive the Lord Jesus. Now Solomon used paradoxes in his writings and Jesus used paradoxes to present plain truth about life. Spiritual transformation is a mystery, like a paradox. So are you giving to get? Are you losing to find? Are you dying to live? In this moment today, you can start if you haven't. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that You would glorify the name of the Lord Jesus in the lives and hearts of all of us, but particularly that one or more who has never received You. Holy Spirit of God, do office work in those hearts that only You can do. Accomplish what You will for Your glory not for this church, not for the pastor, not for the preacher, but only for your glory. Save that one that is closest to eternity away from you. Do it today, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.